the whole idea behind this is just being able to be, be intentional about this course and wherever you find yourself make your voice heard it's not sufficient to say i participated here and here and here what was the outcome what did you do that changed things what did your presence do what did your presence change what impact did you make you're listening to what do you think a podcast by the youth leadership hub of the hcd exchange on this podcast we share the stories triumphs challenges and learning from young people who thrive at the intersection of human-centered design and adolescent sexual and reproductive health. The stories that they share are fantastic insights and guides on how advocators, implementers, program designers, and funders can meaningfully engage youth in their work. Get ready to meet today's young leader. Miranda Ekema Indolo is a 25-year-old Cameroonian nurse and youth activist. She is the Global Fund HIV Epidemic Response Voice Ambassador, where she contributes to the sexual and reproductive health rights and needs of adolescent girls and young women and leads community-based responses to HIV. She is also the founder of Thriving Youth Leaders Initiative. Miranda was interviewed in April 2021 by Laura Informi, who is a former member of the HCD Exchanges Youth Leadership Hub. But the episode is being released months after Laura's tenure. In this conversation, Miranda shares moments where she's felt proud of her work in ESRH, what to do in instances where you encounter misinformation, and what got her to start working with adolescent girls and young women in the first place. Enjoy the conversation. How did you start working in the field of adolescent sexual adoptive health? Actually, I started in back in 2015 because I got my advanced level in 2013 um, and I, okay, let's just say I, I got into my first year um, in the university in 2013 and then oof, I was from <laughs> an all-girls um, secondary school for the last seven years and then that was me in my first year university getting to engage with um, the both sexes and go to class with both the boy, the male and the female. I mean, that was a new stage in my life. I started living alone, making my own decisions and all of those things. What actually got me to start working in this field was my experience. Back in 2013, uh, I got pregnant. It was an unplanned pregnancy. I didn't have sufficient knowledge about the subject. I didn't know how to protect myself. I didn't know how to make the right decisions. And actually, I was coerced into it. And even after the whole thing happened. I, I didn't know where to go to. I didn't know how to protect myself. I didn't know what to do. So I ended up having the baby and I had to stay back for a year. And then I came back again in 2015 to start all over again. And so when I came back, I I realized that um, what I went through, a whole um, number of girls would go through and were actually going through the same thing because there was um, deficiency in knowledge. And because um, we didn't have enough spaces Laura, I'm sure you can agree there with me. Back in 2015, yeah. Boya, I mean, there wasn't so much work being done about this in, in Southwest region. That's in Boya. Yeah. And so a lot of girls, I mean, millions and thousands of girls found themselves in the same situation where they were faced with unplanned pregnancies. Some of them even got infected. I mean, some of them got pregnant and didn't know what to do and it resulted in committing and they committed suicide. And I mean, there was just a lot happening around um, adolescent health and sexual um, and, and their sexuality. I was 17 when I got pregnant. I was still a teenager. And so um, I made up my mind to 
to help girls out of the situation and to to make things better by the first thing I was, I was trying to do was to give them the information because I think if I had the right information, I would have made better choices and I would mm -hmm. have, I mean, known how to get myself out of the situation. Of course, I don't regret my son. He's a very amazing person. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> so of course, I, I started a, a youth-led initiative. It was just an initiative. And um, as a health student, because then I was studying nursing, I got a few of my classmates to to join me and I, I mean, in this course for um, teen girls, I mean, adolescents and young adults to get to know um, about their reproductive health, to get to know their choices, to get to know how they can protect themselves by sharing information. And we did this by organizing workshops, we did this by organizing campaigns, by just leading discussions, by just talking about it and getting information, trust me, the information I got to know then, I knew nothing about my sexual and reproductive health then. I was totally clueless. But when I got to know about this, I decided to, I mean, to help other girls out there and to, to get them involved in this fight. Because, I mean, when more people come together, they, the impact is always bigger. So that's how we started the initiative. And then we started sharing information and on different platforms and getting information i mean getting this information across especially to the university students and yeah that's how i got myself it's from my own lived experiences and what i saw happening around me yeah um thank you thank you so much um your story has really touched me i can remember at one point in time i joined your your movement right we went yeah. to we in menda and we went to some few schools to talk about um adolescent sexual abuse health and it was quite interesting i can remember the fire everyone was excited everything tell me about um the work you are currently carrying out in the field of adolescent sexual reproductive health um okay right now um the work has gone on a bigger platform thanks to her voice fund so right now the focus is on on getting girls um informed to be able to make the right choices about their sexual and reproductive health rights and also to help them on how to manage HIV and how to treat um, HIV and how to prevent HIV. Because um, we know that in, um, millions of adolescent girls and young women are, are coerced usually into unwanted sex and, and marriage and usually putting them at the risk of um, unwanted pregnancies, unsafe abortions, um, sexually transmitted infections and even including HIV and sometimes dangerous childbirth. So what we are working on now is on reaching out to these adolescent girls and young women, especially those in rural community settings where um, there's a huge lack of information. So um, unfortunately, COVID came and um, things, I mean, changed the strategies and the approach, but um, we are still working. So what we do is going we go into the communities um, thanks to the Global Fund and Healthcare, they provide grants for five communities at least. And then we go into the communities and reach out to as many adolescent girls and young women. We get them involved. We talk to them about their choices. Um, we talk to them about their health rights. We talk to them about their sexual rights. We let them know what being a girl, being a woman is all about and why you should stand up for yourself. We also teach them how to protect themselves. We organize and coordinate sessions and lead discussions about sexuality, um, gender mainstreaming, and even um, 
using the gender transformative approach and also including boys in the fight because it's it's not only if we want to to get things straight we must include both genders and so mm-hmm. um we, we don't do that just on site we also use the media to to carry on mes- to trans- to transmit messages and to involve um the people who can get on the, on, on the internet involved as well i'm sure you remember you were leading one of this, the discussions sometime i think two months ago yeah mm-hmm. so that's the kind of work we do we just want to get the girls involved in the fight we also want to get them informed about their choices and everything that concerns them about the health and how they can protect themselves and even how to be better as girls and young women what can we do to better reach our, our goals that's um, on of srh meeting the needs of adolescent young um, adolescent girls and young women um first thing i want to say is be all sincere be very <laughs> open about this discussion because this is a very sensitive topic and the moment um, you want to start talking about sex and reproductive health people um you know the cultural norms everybody sees you like <clears throat> sorry um this is a bad person she's exposed she's you know you know the african setting and all of that even when we go to school to talk about it um people young girls and young boys always shy away from the discussion and if we continue like this i bet we are not going to, we're not getting the right information across so um the advice is be open about it there's nothing wrong to talk about your sexuality there's nothing wrong to talk about just your, your reproductive health these are pertinent things that if you don't know you cannot better protect yourself and so regardless of the situation i think we should be able to break the stereotypes this is 2021 we should be able to talk about this even in the church settings because um there's some girls who have the opportunity to, to leave their house only on sundays when they are supposed to sit to to go to church there's some girls who don't have access to schools and education so they find themselves at home or maybe in the marketplaces and you know so we should um take note of all the spots where we can find girls and reach out to them through those places if it's going to the market to talk about this we should go there if it's talking about this on the media we should if it's talking about this in the church setting we should we should i mean we should just engage in every um space where we have girls and young women and even boys to talk about their sexual health and their reproductive health because trust me this is a very pertinent issue um when i was in my last year in high school i i was actually doing the science course then and our teacher was very shy to talk about reproduction to us and you know what she did she she actually photocopied the notes and gave us to read on our own because she couldn't talk about it with us and i will say that was where my first mistake started because i'm sure if um i got across the the right message if i got um the right message and i was able to get the explanation about all of these things about reproduction i think it would have been a different story but i didn't get that information and straight out after that i went to the university and started living alone and i mean things happened so we should be very intentional about this fight and we should put away sentiments and just be real just just say it as it is and don't sugarcoat things and because we need the real and raw information to to make things better so the advice for for those fighting for this cause is to keep doing the work um fight get yourself in every space where the girls where you can find girls and young boys and even girls 
and be intentional about it. Be very open to speak out and nothing should hold you back. I mean, it's our bodies. And so everybody has a, a, a sexual organ, except you're having a, a complication or something. So there's nothing strange about talking about your sexual health or your reproductive health. It's like saying my head is aching. It's, it's normal. I should be able to go to, to buy a condom, just very fine. The way I go to buy bread, it shouldn't be when I start going to the store to, to get a condom, nobody should start looking at me um, some way. And trust me, Laura, things are different here. Currently, I mean, I'm in South Africa, but I'll be coming back in two weeks. And if I go to the store to, to get, um, for example, a lubricant, if I go to the mall to get a lubricant or a condom, nobody cares. I can even hold it like this and, but, and nobody really cares. But back in Cameroon, oh my God, I will have to hide it because, yeah, the, the way people, you see, we have to break all of those stereotypes. We have to break all those norms. They are not normal. We should be able to express ourselves freely. We should be able to to speak up, uh, speak up about the things we need, especially things that concern our sexual um, health and our reproductive health. Uh, I think that's what I'll say for now. Yeah, um, thank you so much, Miranda. You've spoken a lot like the, the perspective, like contextualizing the issue of Cameroon. And it's something that we need to work on because I can remember I went to a, an all-girls school too, right? And when yeah. in the course of uh, education, Actually, I believe that all of us were virgins and I used to have that stereotype of someone who was, wasn't a virgin because of the information I got. You know, when you grow up in the community yeah. where you have limited knowledge about um, sexual abuse health, right? you begin to see other people as bad. Like, as you start judging people for their sexuality. Exactly. And yeah, so I think it's something really, really important. We need to really start um, deconstructing and trying to set a new pace in our communities because also we, we really do not have information about all of these condoms and all of this stuff because I've, literally I work with sex workers and when you go to the field, yes, you might feel comfortable about all of these things, but you, when you go to the community and talking about sex, it's almost like a, the way a parent looks looks at you. I've gone to schools and yeah. I'm okay, like, I want to talk about condoms and they're like, no, don't talk about condoms how am i supposed to pass an information like give these students the information they need because actually giving these people information does not really mean that you're telling them to go ahead and have sex um, sex, um sexual intercourse it's actually giving the right information they need and it's something that's really really biased because in our schools now they don't mm -hmm. even still teach the comprehensive sexuality education yeah. you just uh, find biology just talking exactly. about reproduction physics uh, mm. teachers, chemistry teachers, religion teachers, and it's so it's so limited. So um, I really really appreciate you like for saying all of these things and really pointing a light on the issues or how we have to make these issues really better in Cameroon. Thank you so much. So um, <laughs> thank you, Laura. <laughs> so uh, moving forward, you um, what what are the challenges you have faced working with adolescent sexual abuse health in Cameroon? Like given also given our the, the nature of our crisis, I want you to like to give us the challenges that you faced and a bit um also telling us how you've actually um faced these challenges, given the fact that we have the COVID-19 and we have the Anglophone crisis in particularly the Southwest and Northwest region. I think maybe um, maybe if you could tell us your challenges maybe some more challenges and maybe giving, um, tell us how you'll be able to overcome some of these challenges. Before talking about the COVID and the crisis, um, I want to just mention that um, some of the challenges, in short, most of the challenges are gender, um, are cultural norms. Because um, people, you know, Cameroon and their community settings and cultures and everything, trust me, you cannot go to a, um, um, a Muslim um, community to talk about this because they'll probably kill you. 
this is it's their culture and they don't they don't i mean they don't even talk about it you see a girl is on her period and she cannot go to, to the place of worship and by the time you start asking her questions and trying to to start up uh, deconstructing those norms um your terms i mean you you become a threat so most of the the, the, the the challenges we first of all face in Cameroon is the African mentality, cultural norm, that sex is bad, talking about sex is bad, and getting involved with people who talk about sex is bad. And so you see, even when um, you're planning to do a sensitization um, campaign or something in um, in certain communities, I mean, you're not welcomed. There was a time, I think that was back in 20, about 2016 or 17, we were visiting this place in, in South Westole to talk about this. And the chief basically refused that if this is what we want to talk about, then um, unfortunately he cannot give us uh, the, 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 the space to do that. Yeah, maybe we can do, we can talk about something else, but obviously not sexual and reproductive health. But how, how? in 2017? And there are girls, and I mean, you see all over the community, you see 12, 13 year olds with babies, 15, um, 15 year olds pregnant and, you just, I mean, those are their cultural norms and all of those things. And so I think before any challenge, those are the, that's the main challenge that is holding Cameroonians back, especially those who are living in, in rural settings. Sex is bad and should not be talked about. So that's one thing. That's, I, I think that's where we need to work at. We went to schools to advocate for those schools. Let me put it that way. And then with the coming of the crisis, those schools were locked down. And so... Um, girls had to go back to their houses and I mean the risk was also very high then and you will not want to go to particular places where um this the high um rate of teenage pregnancies like uh, in Munya and all of those places you know how risky they were so the only avenue where we could get to the girls was in school and then with the with the crisis schools were locked down and so that was a big challenge. Trust me, the rate of pregnancy um, from 2016 when the crisis started until now is, is terribly high. And so mm -hmm. the, the lockdown of schools and the gross insecurity just made things worse. And before you take care of somebody, I'm sure you have to take care of yourself too. Otherwise, you, you will not be able to take care of the person. So getting into those uh, risk zones to talk about this was a no. Because, I mean, you nobody cares what you're coming there for. You can get kidnapped, you can get shot. I mean, Laura, you know the reality of things. And so that was a very huge challenge and a setback. But regardless, um, people, we still were able to do the campaigns in the marketplaces. That was the best way. And wait for schools to reopen. That was also a very huge challenge. The insecurity there and the, the lockdown of schools. I mean, we could not even get, there were some girls who could only get, um, who could only receive sanitary products in schools. And because of the, the, the shutdown of schools and, and all of those spaces of those gatherings and everything, um, I, I wonder how these girls have made it through. Um, yeah, I mean, there are so many cases of health workers being shot and killed because they were trying to, to provide assistance to these populations. And so it, it's really not been easy when it comes to the, the crisis that Cameroon is going, um, the, that Cameroon is facing now. And then with the COVID, oh my God, making everything worse. That's, I mean, Cameroon is actually facing a double crisis right now. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm just happy that things are easing out and things are getting better again. With the COVID, all the spaces um, that we had where young people could um, reach out to, to get information, like the Community Center of Development, Laura, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not sure how things happened, but a lot of the places, spaces I knew had to close, especially when the lockdowns were, were severe. Yeah. Sure. And yeah. so there was limited information and even going out to communities, I mean, there was a lot of restriction. I think the only places that were really functioning normally when at the peak of the COVID were government institutions because, okay, yeah, there was, they had the PPEs, uh, and I mean, things to protect themselves. But I, I see that things are easing out. And so those were the main challenges. The COVID um, caused uh, places to, to be locked. And young people don't want to go to the government uh, institutions, trust me, because oh, there's a lot of judgment there. I've worked at the regional hospital. And when you see a young girl come um, maybe for an HIV test and she's positive, the, the, the nurses, they sound very nice in, your, in front of your face especially yeah but the moment you step out if you if you hear what they talk about oh this is how you guys are going like that's how you uh, you spend your time opening your legs sleeping with boys the judgment is a whole lot especially when um the, your healthcare provider is not your your age in your age group mm-hmm. they start judging they don't know your challenges they've not walked in your shoes but they are very good at judging and so a lot of young people personally if i were to do an hiv test and i'm positive if I maybe just suspect I'm positive and I need to, to confirm with an HIV test, I will not do it at the government hospital, trust me, because I know how it looks there. Yeah. So you see a lot of young people, uh, I mean, running away from these settings because there's a lot of judgment there. And even at the regional hospital, you can, ima- can you imagine that um, the HIV um, unit is on a different, particular, uh, a whole different block from the hospital? So the moment I come to the hospital and everybody's taking the left and I'm taking the right, oh, everybody knows that either she's going to test or she's going to, to take her treatment. I mean, how? Do you really think I'll go there? I won't uh-huh. because I'll, I'll be identified because the moment I'm going left instead of going right, everybody knows where I'm going to. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that should be looked into because this, that's, that's just birthing more and more stigma and I don't think it's supposed to be like that. So, um, and then another challenge with the COVID is um, reaching out to people on the media. Internet um, connection is still a, a big challenge to many communities. And so, so many people are unfortunately left out in this um, discussion and in this course. So I'm uh, just hoping that things get better quickly and then people can get back to work and start all over or continue from, continue from where they stopped. Yeah. Sure. Um, just a quick follow-up question. So um, you're talking about um, reaching out through the media and all of those things. So how do you, uh, um, I don't, there's, a, there's a video that is very viral now where um, someone was actually giving out um, reasons for violence. Like, um, despite, how do you feel about it? Because I think you as an activist, you as a youth leader, like you, you, you're concerned with giving the right information or giving people informed um, information so they can take informed decision about um, their reproductive health. Um, how do you feel when you see other people giving some limited information or maybe um, giving um, like giving information that is uh, completely contrary to what you preach? How do you feel about it? Um, social media has its, <laughs> has its, its good aspects and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it, I mean, social media has its pros and cons. Um, that's why the people, I mean, actually youth activists now should always be able to give out the right information across the right channels so that um, 
the, the right people will get the right information. And regardless, social media, <laughs> I, I love social media because uh, most of the social media um, platforms have, uh, either they have a retweet button or they have mm-hmm. a share button or they have a comment button. And usually mm-hmm. when I see messages that are either limited or are not um, giving out the right information, I share and give out the right information or I add my own comments there. And you see, usually either, the, I mean, you start a whole discussion thread there. Uh, kind yeah. of a, a debate thread there and then people read those things you don't know i myself sometimes i just go through um campaigns i just go through the comments to see what people have to say about this campaign people read those things so um what i'll say is when you see um, a misinformation maybe kind of a campaign or something don't just grumble to yourself share it and denounce the whole thing and give your own point of view which is obviously the right information or you add your comments there, or you retweet to the right information, or you you maybe if you see the, okay they're talking about for example, um, I'm not sure the example to use, but you can just denounce it by creating your own maybe your own post. Just give the opposite of of your own inf- of the information that is out there and try to make it right by starting mm-hmm. your own conversation about it. Just denounce it maybe on the same page and on the same platform. Come and share your own flyer there. Because, I mean, we need to be brutal and violent in this. Otherwise, there's no way. Because in as much as the right information is out there, the wrong information is also out there. And mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, people would, a few people will get access but to the wrong information. And um, I think we also have to be conscious about this and don't just stay silent and grumble about it, but be able to, to add your voice to it and make things right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. So um, can you tell me about a moment of success or something that made you feel great about working in sexual abusive health? Um, there's been many of such times, but um, one of the times I, I really felt great about this was um, during one of the, we had, uh, unfortunately, COVID came. And so most of the 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 key platforms we have, we used to engage in happened virtually. Well, well, that's fine. And so there was this consultation that you, one of um, you led, <laughs> actually, you participated in this. That I think this was when we were getting the discussions. You were leading one of the discussions. I'm sure you can remember back uh, about two months ago. And so mm-hmm. I was actually leading the, the, the consultations for adolescent girls and young women for mm-hmm. this um, event. Actually, it was to put together a new strategy for the year 2021 to 2024. And the strategy had to favor particular groups of people, like not actually favor to include particular groups of people, for example, the adolescent girls and young women, young people living with HIV, LGBTQ, and those kind of groups of people. And then we led the consultations and then we were... At the final meeting, when we they had to tell all the, the, the approaches to better suit these people, the adolescent girl, I, I mean, I was following the discussion. I led the consultations and I had my own um, approaches, designs, and new strategies to be included in the, the briefing. And I followed up the meeting until the, the, the closeout meeting and I had nothing mentioned about adolescent girls and young women and their sexuality and how to, to fit them into the into the new strategy and trust me i i was thinking that there was going to be another one but <laughs> luckily I, I i understood that that was the last and so almost at the end of it i i raised my hand to ask a question and mm-hmm. luckily i was given the audience and 
Then I asked them that I led the consultations for the adolescent girls and young women, including their sexuality and how to engage them in things that concern them. And I've heard nothing being talked about here. Is there going to be another briefing or there's <laughs> going to be a whole um, strategy development for the adolescent girls and young women? And that was when they, they, they remembered us. You see the level of tokenism. And so we just, I mean... I, I mean, I was I was so angry about it. I was I was brutal about it, and I, I told them that this this is what always happens. This is tokenism mm-hmm. because you make it feel like we our voices are needed into into tailoring solutions for us. But look at the outcome of things. And so they were ashamed; they couldn't do nothing. And then they said, "Okay, they want to listen to what I have, and they are going to put it down into the new strategy and everything." So I told them, I gave them points about. Um, what we needed to support our sexual health, our reproductive health, he thinks about us and how to get engaged meaningfully in these key spaces and all of those things. And and yes, it was included in the new strategy, uh, in the new strategy development. So you just see that usually you just have to be bold. You just have to speak out. And mm-hmm. if there was nobody who was going to speak out for us as young women and girls, mm-hmm. it would have closed and nothing would have happened. That's a strategy for the next three years. So we would have waited mm-hmm. for three years to be involved again. So the whole idea behind this is just being able to be, be intentional about this course. And wherever you find yourself, make your voice heard. It's not sufficient to say, I participated here and here and here. What was the outcome? What did you do that changed things? What did your presence do? What did your presence change? What impact did you make? And so that's a moment I really felt proud about myself. So right now, I mean, there's a whole caption of adolescent girls and young women in the strategy with all that we want, with all that we need, and with all the resources that we think are necessary for us. And so this, this is a very, very key meeting. And they, they can, I mean, they have huge impacts in Africa and all over the world. It's a global movement. And so with that, I think we will be able to get things that benefit us. We'll be able to get the right information and resources. Meanwhile, we would have had to wait for the next three years and if nobody came up to speak about it again, it would have just been like that. That was a moment I felt really proud about myself. Thank you so much. Where do you see yourself in the next five years in regards to the work you are doing um, around adolescent sexual abductive health? Um, in the next five years, I would have said I'm sitting in an office, and but that's that's actually not what I want because mm-hmm. um, this is just a phase. And as we are going out of the phase, more people are coming into the phase and the work will just continue. Yeah, so um, where I see myself five years after this is we will still have young girls, we'll still have young boys, we'll still have young women, we'll still have adolescent girls and the work will just continue. This uh, course is not, um, it's not, it's not something, it's not like a agenda 2030 where after 2030 we are expecting things to be. Now, it's, I think it's continuous. Yeah, so where I see myself, uh, in the next five years, is still doing the same work, but maybe producing, of course, producing a bigger impact and reaching out to even more people. Yeah, that's actually what I see myself in the next five years. Wow. Have you heard about the human-centered design, like in your course or in the course of your work and your activities? Maybe I have, but uh, I'm not very sure. <laughs> okay, Um. let me just do a quick definition for you. Maybe in, in the course of your work, you've actually done something on the human-centered design, but not knowing because... It's just like a new concept, right? So um, human-centered okay. design 
um, it's like basically an approach, right? Where we um, solve problems commonly is used, like it's commonly solved, like problems or use um, people as at the center of the problem solving. A customer-centered approach, right? Where the customer mm-hmm. is at the center everything you're doing maybe um your activities your your pro- programs all of these things so it has five phases in which we actually it may be from the ideation right to the protesting or the implementation phase and all of these things i don't know okay. if you've actually heard about it what you think about yeah. it maybe creating the human-centered design with um adolescent sexual health like combining those two phases what do you think about it like, is it a good approach or um, or do you think that that, that approach is, is actually, it, it might actually serve as to maybe include these adolescent young, um, adolescents in, and uh, young people in attaining um, sexual adoptive health and rights to its maximum or something like, like that? So um, if I understand what you're trying to say, you're saying, okay, the human-centered design is, is kind of, it's an approach where um, the, let's, let's talk about it in this context, the adolescent is the... Is the person that we are designing solutions for? Is that yes. it? In this case, the adolescent is at the center. It's it's like okay. you, you're looking in in terms of satisfying that that customer. That's that's the adolescent in our case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Or what, that's what I'm saying actually. Okay, so you're asking if it's the right approach. What you think about it? Not really like if it's the right approach. Of course, using this approach, like the human-centered design and I mean, using this approach to solve the problem is, is always, I think it's always the best because um, at the end of the day, this, this, this empathy, you put yourself in the person's shoes and you can relate better with the, the person's challenges and, and therefore tailor better solution, um, solutions that better fit their needs. And I think um, it's, a, it's an approach that should be considered, especially in this field. And it, I, I mean, it is going to help you to, to ensure that all your efforts are actually to benefit yeah. the adolescent. I think that's what your, your, the human-centered approach is from your description, and I think yeah, yes. that's that's the way to go. I mean, all your 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 solution should be tailored to to meet this person's specific needs, and it should be. I mean, yeah, I I agree. That's the way to go about it. I joined the youth leadership hub. I was actually I've not really have a mastery like the knowledge of this. And do you, I tried um, doing now that carrying on an activity for once, and it was mostly centered around, around the human centered design. I introduced it, and everyone was like, "What human centered design? We've never heard about about that." And um, we actually planned to reach like um, five hundred people, right? It was something like we called it the COVID nineteen response to GBV because we discovered that in terms of GBV, the, um, sorry, COVID nineteen, there was a high prevalence of. Uh, COVID-19, right? Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. we discovered that day we actually hit more targets. People were so happy. Like, like you, you, you saw that 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 we found we, we actually gathered those real outcomes that we were hoping to 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 gain when it comes to like outreach and all of these things. And there was actually yeah. continuous learning because we see we see people like always like we, we give our numbers and usually when we go out there we give our numbers to people okay get to us if you have any problem but no one will do but now you see people like they feel they feel they, they felt so included in our project and they were like like they felt it was almost like I don't know how to put it but they were so happy like go back to us kept asking like questions like that continuous learning or yeah. you get people saying okay, okay. just come and chip in and say something about it or people insisting we want you guys to do this thing we want you guys no we cannot invite and it was so so interesting (laughs) yeah i think that's that's the magic about it because at the end of the day Mm -hmm. people feel the the people you're reaching out to feel like i mean they identify themselves with with the work you Mm -hmm. do and 
you mm-hmm. are using them as um maybe like can i say you're you're trying to i mean they are your center of the of your action and so it, it creates some kind of a balance that i think um, everybody wants to to have that was an enlightening conversation with miranda two major key takeaways are if you encounter wrong information being shared don't stay silent Add your voice by sharing the right info. Also, speak up when you see young people being left out of conversations. Ask yourself what your presence has changed and make sure you leave an impact. If you enjoyed hearing Miranda's story, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it and tell a friend about it.